Women Today. First to my good afternoon. It's just gone six minutes past two and this is Women Today on Manx Radio this afternoon with me, Beth Espy. And today it's a Conister Rock special where our studio guest takes us on a musical journey through their memories. And today we are delighted to be joined by the World War II veteran who was awarded the Military Medal for an act of bravery in 1942. Hector Duff was also involved in the D-Day landings of 1944 and in 2014 he received the French Legion d'honneur at the 70th anniversary of the Normandy landings. In the same year he was given the highest Manx award being recognised for his services to the public in conflict and peacetime with a Timwald honour and in 2013 he received the British Empire Medal for his tireless work in talking to school children about his wartime experiences and Hector Duff that's something that you're you're most proud of because you were nominated for that by the children themselves. That's correct. That's correct. Yes, it's, uh, nothing could have made me more proud. In fact, I was in tears when I thought about well, how <coughs> wonderful it was that the children could think about doing that, and that made me feel that uh, our future is in really good hands as regards the ex-servicemen. And we we often wonder what what are the what are the come, uh, present day or the the coming future going to do before us and what we're we going to do and uh, here I thought well here look at the, the 14 year olds and less than that they're asking nominating me for that award and uh, the future our future I think as regards the ex-service I hope anyway as are very very good hands. Well, Hector, you've also made it your mission to make sure that parish war memorials are properly looked after and the details recorded. Uh, you were one of a small group who started compiling a register of the memorials and you also approached government to ask for a committee headed up by an MHK to be formed. That has been done. We're going to talk about um, all that and much more of the course of the next hour. But first of all, just take us right back. You were born on October the 15th, 1919, in Solby Village. What do you remember about your childhood growing up in the Isle of Man? Well... <coughs> There, were, there weren't a lot of boys or girls in the village, but there were enough of us to, to, have, to have a form little groups, and we used to enjoy ourselves with plenty of freedom. We uh, were all running about, and we made our own entertainment then. We didn't uh, have any uh, toy uh, things to play on the computer and things like that. We had to make our toys, and we had our own seasons when these came on. We would first of all we'd maybe have tops, uh, tops and the spinning tops and a whip, and then we'd have make hoops from old ca- uh, bicycle wheels and trolleys from uh, uh, soap boxes and wheels up old prams. We we had to make our own entertainment, and we seemed to enjoy it all, and uh, because uh, oh we had a wonderful time in the summer, most of the summer the, during the holidays. I used to go on to the farms just to, to, to have a ride on the horses and cars bringing the hay in and that sort of thing. Oh no, I had a wonderful uh, time, but uh, it was cut short by me having to go away to a, a training school. Well, we'll talk about that in just a uh, moment. Well, my father was at sea, he was a sailor, deep sea sailor, and he died at sea. And the shipping company that he was with said that they asked my mother if they had a boy that they wanted to train to be a, a ship's officer, uh, they would pay for me. And I went, that's what had happened. I went on to the HMS Indefatigable, which was uh, moored in the at Rock Ferry in the Mersey, and I served my time there until I was old enough to go to, to, to go to sea as a cadet. 
Wow, that, so that was 1931 you went there, and that, you yes, were still a very young correct. boy. Yes, and uh, I think in about 1936 I took appendicitis when I was, we were on a trip from uh, America coming home, and uh, I was a bit longer than usual at home uh, in the hospital, and uh, it wasn't a, a, just a five-hour operation for appendix in them days, it was five weeks. <laughs> And uh, I came home, my mother said, well, come home, build yourself up a bit. In the meantime, I, w I was doing that. I got a job on the Isle of Man Railway. I worked on the clerical side of the Isle of Man Railway. And then the war broke out. So I had to go and register. And I registered as a boy cadet. But I was called up into the infantry. So... <laughs> Well, we'll talk about that a, a little bit later because yeah. you decided that the, the infantry wasn't for you. But I just wonder, as as a young child, I mean, you were born, what, less than a year after the First World War had ended. How aware were you as a child of, of what had gone on in that? Very, very little, really, would I ask. No, we had very no history. I only went to school at Solby School. We only had uh, three, uh, three, three, three hours we learned. We had no algebra and anything like that and ma maths there was no maths there was sums we called them in them days and we had a good time I, I thought we did anyway we uh, enjoyed ourselves at school with two very old teachers but they're very stern and strong and, and strict and uh, I, I enjoyed my years when I, when I was at Sylvie School well, tell us about your first piece of music then, which sort of looks back at the childhood. It's a piece by Matt Munro. Well, I thought that was born free, I've suggested. And because I can remember the freedom we had in them days. We, we weren't restricted or tied down to anything like that. And uh, I, I eventually went into the army, didn't they? Fight for the freedom that we, had, that we wanted and to ensure that we did. And I hope that by winning the war that we did ensure that. But the wind blows as free as the grass grows born free to follow your heart live free and beauty surrounds you the world still astounds you it's time you look at a star Stay free Where no walls divide you You're free as a roaring tide So there's no need to hide Born free And life is worth but only worth living Cause you're born free 
Free, the first piece of music chosen by our studio guest Hector Duff this afternoon. And uh, Hector, I mean that that just has so many sentiments in it. That song, and as you say, it's it's what you fought for. Yes, indeed, yes, yes. And we had that freedom, and I don't think we appreciate it really what we've got free. And it, the world is what we make it, isn't it? It's uh, it's not designed by somebody else, and then we have to just jog jog on it's uh i feel anyway that the world is what we make it how frustrated do you get when people do take it for granted well i think yes i I think it's very very wrong they should always have something to put into it i feel they should always have something to put into it and uh, we what we earn in life it's what we we're, we're, what we we earn. We get that, but what we give in life makes the life we have. What we give in. You're listening to Women Today. It's a Conister Rock special this afternoon with Hector Duff. We'll be back in just a moment. Men's Radio. Women Today. On a hill far away Stood an old rugged cross The emblem of suffering and shame And I love that old cross Where the dearest and best For a world Sinners were slain So I'll cherish the old rugged cross Till my trophies at last I lay down I will cling to the old Daniel O'Donnell, The Old Rugged Cross, the second piece of music chosen by our studio guest this afternoon, um, Hector Duff. And, and Hector, that piece really reminding you of the war memorials, which Ex- have so many names on that you, you know. Exactly, yes, it does. And, uh, it's a wonderful tune, that, as you say. Uh, it reminds me the, of our local memorials, in particular where there's so many names on men that I know. But if I go away to other memorials, I treat them exactly the same because we know 
they've fought for us, they've died for us, and we often, very often forget them. And uh, they owe us, owe us so we owe them so much, really. It's a wonderful tune, that. Wonderful. So take us back then, Hector, to just before um, World War II broke out. How aware were you at that point of, of what was going on? Very, very little, really. I, I, I was a boy from green grass, you might say, and I went into the army and uh, I was, uh, at that time, I was uh, posted to a very famous infantry regiment, the Lancashire Fusiliers, and... Uh, the boys had just come back from Dunkirk then, tired out, worn out, and many, many, many of their comrades all lost and and missing. And they said to me, whatever you do, don't stay in the infantry. We've walked all over Belgium and France and Holland. So I thought, well, I don't fancy that either. So I volunteered for several things before I was finally accepted into the Royal Tank Corps. And I joined, I was called up into the Royal Tank Corps at Farnborough, and I served all my six years in the, during the war, either driving a tank or driving an armoured car. So that was uh, what I was doing in the, in the infantry, the 7th Armoured Division. I always said they were the best in the world. And, uh, I, 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 I know lots of people wouldn't agree with me, but I think they were. And uh, you drove some very notable people occasionally in your uh, in the car. You had some famous names in your car sometimes. Oh yeah, yes, yes. Uh, well, the f- most famous one, I suppose, would be Montgomery. If he came to our division, the Seventh Armoured Division, uh, and he wanted to go forward a bit, and uh, a little bit further forward than he normally goes, he would either go in the tank or the armoured car, which I would drive. And on many, many occasions, I drove them. He didn't have very much to say, but uh, at the, he was quite a pleasant sort of a chap. So how much, Hector, did you, you think about what you were potentially going to have to face over the over the coming years? I never for one moment thought that I would come home alive. That's one thing I never really? thought. No, no. War, uh, present war, wars are terrible things. There's no winners in a war. There's another winner in a war. There may be some victors, but nobody wins. You can't say you've won a war when you've lost about eight or nine million men. It's uh, the war. I never for one moment thought I would come home alive. And I've got only one person to thank that I did. Well, that takes us on to our next piece of music then, which is uh, by the Drifters. By the Drifters, yes. This reminds me of my wife and I when we used to go dancing at all the little local church halls and dance halls around the Isle of Man. We used to cycle around, we used to cycle with no cars, we used to cycle, and we always used to save the last dance for me. But it's different dancing than they do now. I don't think we could do this dancing that goes on now. (laughs) You can dance. Every dance with the guy who gives you the eye, let him hold you tight. You can smile, every smile for the man who held your hand neath the pale moonlight. But don't forget who's taking you home and in whose arms you're gonna be. So darling, say the last dance for me. Mm. 
I know, oh, I know that the music's yes, fine like sparkling oh, wine. Go and have your yes, fun. I know. Oh, I know. Laugh and sing. Yes, I know. But while we're oh, apart, don't give your yes, heart to anyone. Oh, but yes, don't forget who's taking you home and in whose arms you're gonna be. So darling, say the last dance for me. Baby, don't you know I love you so? Can't you feel it when we touch? I will never, never let you go. I love you oh so much. You can dance, you can dance. Go and carry you on till the night is you gone and it's time to you go. You can dance. If he asks, you can dance. If you're all you alone, can, can he take you, you home? Dance. You must tell him no. Cause don't forget who's taking you home And in whose arms you're gonna be So darling, say the last dance for me Cause don't forget who's taking you home And in whose arms you're gonna be So darling, say the last dance for me mm, Say the last dance for me Hector Duff's third piece of music this afternoon, Save the Last Dance for Me by the Drifters and lovely memories there of your wife who you were married to for over 60 years. While you were away um, during the Second World War, Hector, how much contact did you have with your family? Very, very little. Uh, I was in North Africa for three years and uh, we had little letters, no letters at all. We had air graphs, they were called air graphs, and... We used to write them and they had to be censored, of course, and they would send them away, send them home. And we had, we had no pen, no biros, for instance. You see, no biros. Then they had a pencil or a fountain pen. And if your fountain pen ran dry, well, then you were out of communications. But I would get three or four letters from my wife at a time. And the same, she would get the same. That It was a little or no communication at all. That must have been incredibly difficult. Well, it was very, very. It was. It was a wonderful place to fight on the desert because there was no other people about, only camels, and uh, there was no roads or tracks or people or houses. There was a few houses along the coastal strip, but uh, it was a good place to fight. That was the only thing I would say about it. But the, I wouldn't have chose the sand, the sand flies and all the millions and millions of flies and that's sort of about food was very scarce and scant and same food we had uh, for days on end or we'd have uh, nothing that maybe a couple of months at a time only corn beef and biscuits that was breakfast dinner tea and supper goodness me and uh, it wasn't very but a good place to fight well you were awarded the Military Medal for an Act of Bravery in 1942. Yeah. Can you tell us what that Act of Bravery was? Uh, well, I, it, the cetacean says, I'm, I see the cetacean every day when I walk into my, my uh, junk room. 
it says uh, on the, I think it was the 8th of May of 1942, this NCO came under very heavy shell fire from nearby and uh, without hesitation he got his range founder out, that made a range of where the, uh, the uh, shelling was coming from. It was a German strong point and really they back it to our head to our infantry and artillery and then I took the my Bren gun out from the uh, armoured car and ran and uh, attacked the uh, the strong point and uh, it says caused many casualties and the enemy disappeared and uh, then it goes on a little bit of, of flannel then saying that uh, without regard for his own safety and that sort of thing and it said that uh, without hesitation, uh, I can say that was the, this was the officer that uh, recommended me without hesitation. This NCO was under more shell fire than any other armoured car driver in the whole division. And uh, well, I was very, very proud at the time. My wife said I was very <laughs> stupid. <laughs> but uh, they all, we used to have a saying that say you've never lived until you've nearly died and it's quite true that sometimes when you've nearly died my word you see wonderful things in front of you couldn't explain it to you Beth you're listening uh, to women today on uh, Manx radio this afternoon we were with Hector uh, Duff we'll be back in just a moment Women Today. 27 minutes to three and it's a Conister Rock special this afternoon. We are joined by the World War II veteran Hector Duff. And what uh, you've been talking about, Hector, really striking a chord with many listeners who are getting in touch with us. If you'd like to text or email, it's 16167 or studio at manxradio.com. Uh, Sheila says, an amazing man, my hero. I love listening to him. And incidentally, one of her favourite songs is The Drifters Save the Last Dance for Me. And uh, just another text which really sums it up beautifully, I think, the sentiment of many people this afternoon. Thank you, Hector, for what you have done for us, young man. Just thank you. So talk us through um, some more of, of what you experienced during the Second World War then. We're, we're sort of at the point of late summer 1942 until 1944 when you, you fought through Italy. You had a short leave and then returned to Norwich where you then prepared for landing in Europe. How on earth, Hector, did you go about well, preparing for that? Well, we came to Swaffleton in uh, Norfolk and uh, we had a month's leave which seemed to go in no time and we went back and we would re-equip with new tank, new tanks which were Cromwells, they were Cromwells. Prior to that, when we'd fought with the, against the Germans on the, on the desert, we had a, a 37 millimetre gun. They had a 75mm gun, which was twice our size. When we came back, we were issued with these Cromwells, and uh, we were very, very pleased. We had then got, uh, we had a 75 pounder gun, but they'd increased theirs, of course, and they had an 88mm, so there were always one ahead of us. But we, uh, well, we just had to put up with it, and uh, we, we did our best. We, uh, we were issued with the new tanks. We weren't allowed to drive them then because when we came home from England because at that time, England was so short of food that every parcel of land, a garden allotment was all taken up and we weren't allowed to drive on the roads or on the land anywhere. 
So we were allowed to drive a little bit on the roads, but not very much. So anyway, the time we were told then that we were going to land in Normandy, not in Normandy, we were going to land in, uh, in Europe, we didn't know where, and uh, we were going to have a wet landing. It was going to be a wet landing. So that meant that the tanks and the armoured cars, whichever you were in, was got, uh, it had to be waterproof to stop the water getting into the engine or into the turret of the tank and that sort of thing. And we had that was a dirty job to do, really. It was a, it was like with the blue tack, but stickier and dirtier. And uh, we got them ready. And I, I was told then that I wasn't going to drive a tank uh, uh, to land. I was going to land in an armored car. The reason for that was the general that I was going to drive wanted to get there early so he could confer with the infantry general to find out where, if anywhere. They thought the uh, the land the Germans were a bit weaker, and we had a chance to get through. So we land we went early. We went a day early. Our tanks were going to land on D plus one. We went on D on D day. I landed in the afternoon of D day when, uh, hopefully or thankfully, uh, most of the fighting the bad fighting by the on the beaches was over. When we landed on the beaches, it was a, it was carnage everywhere. Dead men, wounded men, tanks knocked out, all that sort of thing, vehicles, every part, everything of war that you could think of was lying on the beaches, and we had to get it, make our way through that. And it wasn't very, very pleasant. We had to drive through our dead comrades who'd never even landed ashore, never landed on the shore, but we had to do it. We got through. We went to see the general of the infantry, and he was uh, liaised with my general. And then we went back then to reconnoitre round about the beach ourselves, in the, just slightly inland a little bit. And uh, as I said, we were I was driving, and he was telling me where to go. It was very, very moist and damp and wet weather there. And there was an awful lot of bridges, a lot of irrigation ditches there. And a tank is very, very heavy. We had to see where we could get our tanks to go. So that was our job for the first day. And then we went back and slept the night. In the morning, we went down to the beach, met the vehicle. There are tanks that came ashore. And uh, they were taken to a place where it was reasonably safe, where they could de-waterproof their tanks. A tank could fight if it was still waterproof, but it got very, very hot, and and we wanted had to get the waterproofing off. That was our job to do then, and that's what we meant to do on the on the first, the second day. Uh, after that, we fought. On the third day, we fought, and we fought all the way through France and Belgium and Holland, until round about beginning of May. At, uh, at, I think it was around about the eighth of May. We were going to attack Hamburg and uh, we were told we were going to attack in the morning and then during the night was word come round we weren't to move that there was talk that uh, Hitler had uh, committed suicide and that war may be over we were told we weren't to fire until we were, unless we were fired on and uh, in the morning word came through that Donuts had actually taken over command of Germany and that for us the war was over so that was a quick little run through, there's just through France, Belgium, and Holland. How do you feel when you are told that it is well, over? Well, we were very, very uh, jubilant, of course, and thankful. 
I had I had friends of mine that were were killed in the last week. Even the war, but we were fortunate about that, 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 that lucky like that. But we uh, we celebrated, and we did a ram raid in in a in a place with a with an armored car to get into a place. And when we got in, there was nothing in it, so we were out. We were, but we found people, even some Germans that did supply us with a little bit of drink, and we did celebrate. After that, we went back to. Out of the, when the, the, the next couple of days, we went back to Ham to uh, Schleswig Holstein, a place called Schleswig Holstein, where we were sorting the Germans out. This is how quick we were so, we were re- getting ready to to send Germans home. We were sorting the Germans into their various occupations: the plumbers, joiners, bricklayers, and that sort of thing. Sorting them out to get them demobbed so that they could go back and rebuild Germany. And while I did that, I met up with the, the general that I had landed, I brought to shore on D Day, and he asked me to see if I'd like to come into Berlin. He was there and he was the military governor of Berlin. And I went into Berlin and I stayed in Berlin with him uh, for about three three months until I was demobbed. But that was the end of my uh, t- time in Berlin. Well, you came home in August 1945. How then, Hector, do you go about adjusting to normal life again after I, everything you'd been through? I don't know how. And the only reason I, I can think that I did it, I had a wife and a daughter. and uh, But for them, I don't know how I would adjust it myself. I honestly don't. It was a different life you can't imagine. You can't tell, can't explain what it was like living and fighting in a present day war it's it's uh, and I was involved in the in the holocaust on the april the 18th i went into benson belson and uh, two few days later i went into another a falling bottle and got them out things like that i could never re- repeat them tell you what it was like it's on on the even the war is bad enough, but the, in the Holocaust, in the camps, it was, uh, as I say, un- unbelievable. You couldn't think how man could do that to his fellow man. Uh, it's beyond the, there's lots, lots of books about it that you could read about it, but uh, getting home, as I say, getting home, how I readjusted myself. I think I started work fairly quickly afterwards. I think that helped a lot. And what did you do afterwards, Hector? I joined the police force. And uh, yes, I joined the police force. And uh, I was uh, about two two years in Douglas. I stayed in Douglas for two years. And then I was posted to, I had my own beat then in uh, Braddon and Moran. That was my district. I had to, uh, that district to, to look after. And I, I enjoyed that. I did seven years on that, uh, uh, going around all the farms, seeing that their cattle were isolated and that sort of thing when the TT was being attested. So I got to know every farmer, some wonderful people, friends. They're still friends now of mine. And they're what I've made. The, the, the life of, uh, for me and... Uh, I'm very, very pr- proud. I stayed in that, for I was I was in the uh, motor on the motor bicycle then, uh, for seven years, and then after that I got on the motor patrol. So I was driving a car then, 
So I've spent most of my life, I think, driving around in the car, being very fortunate. Well, that takes us to your next piece of music, which is very apt, a Chuck Berry track. Yes, well, as I say, yes, that reminds me. I spent most of my time driving. Every day in the, in the army, I was driving some, some part of the day or, or night. And then in the, in the police force, I was driving for seven years on the motorbike and I think five years on the car. So I was driving along, as Chuck will tell you. Beside me at the wheel I stole a kiss at the turn of a mile My curiosity running wild Cruising and playing the radio With no particular place to go Riding along in my automobile I was anxious to tell her the way I feel So I told her softly and sincere she leaned and whispered in my ear Cuddling more and driving slow With no particular place to go place to go So we parked way out on the Kokomo The night was young and the moon was gold So we both decided to take a stroll Can you imagine the way I felt I couldn't unfasten a safety belt Riding along in my calaboose Chuck Berry riding along in my automobile to reflect the fact that Hector Duff uh, spent most of his life in cars during his uh, working time. Obviously, every day in the war in tanks or armoured cars, uh, worked in the motor patrol during his time in the police, and then ran your own driving school. Yes, yes, I had my own driving school for, I think, 15 years. And uh, I enjoyed that because I was my own boss. I didn't work every day. I took me to pick and choose when I I drove but I met an awful lot of interesting people and and nice people and people that I still know and people that I don't know now I often meet up with them and they say hello Mr Duff and I say well I'm afraid I don't know you and I said well you taught me to drive and uh, they still keep contact with me but uh, yes uh, I, I had a good time Lots of people still getting in touch this afternoon, Hector. Um, Tommy Dawson's been in touch to say uh, that you were the local Bobby and friend uh, when they lived at Spring Valley. And uh, also, a very special message. Love listening to my granddad on the radio. He is our hero from Alex. You're listening to Women Today yeah. on uh, Manx Radio, a Conister Rock special with Hector Duff this afternoon. If you would like to get in touch, 166177 if you'd like to text or you can email studio at manxradio.com. Women Today. 11 minutes to three and we have been joined this afternoon on Women Today by Hector Duff as a part of a Conister Rock special, looking back at some of uh, Hector's very, very poignant memories and some of your favourite music choices as well. How difficult was it to choose those musical pieces, Hector? Well, I... Uh it was really because I had to find something that I thought would uh, I could tell you why I liked it and there's so many different uh, things so many I'm a great West country and a country in the West and, and uh, 
a lot of the music that's played now is not my style, but um, I listen to it and uh, sort of tap my feet now and again. But all these t- choosing these records, it was difficult, and I could have had a few more. I, I, uh, <coughs> you hear a lot that you think, oh, that would be nice, and then you hear something else, and you think, well, I, I think that's a little bit better. It's more that I can fit in with why I chose it. Well, I mentioned at the start of the show, Hector, that you have really made it your mission to look after our war memorials. And and when you see some of them kept beautifully with the displays of flowers, that really strikes a chord with you because it shows we do remember. It does indeed. And and that's one of the things I'll die happy if I could get flowers put on our parish war memorials. There are five, I can name five war memorials that put flowers on. We've got 21 the others don't put a flower on until the 11th of the 11th, and I suppose they feel obliged to do it. But uh, uh, no, the memorials mean a lot to me. Every time I see them, if I I don't think of all the honours that I've got, that I've won them at all, I've thought about them, and I feel proud that I, I, I try to represent them as much as I can. It's, uh, as I say... The children of today, I'm quite sure, will look after them in another five or ten years' time. They're more and more wanting to know all about them and why they're there. And uh, we don't get an awful lot of help from other others, I don't, people I don't know why, but uh, I'm quite sure that the younger generation will look after them. Well, talking to school children is something that's hugely important to you and uh, you really do feel that they are the future and will will carry on where veterans can't. Yeah, yeah. <coughs> and the response you get from school children is really, really interesting, isn't it? You get some really, really well, poignant questions. Wonderful questions, yes. The, the, the secondary school, they ask a bit more questions about the calibre of guns and the thickness of, of the armour plating and that sort of thing. But the little ones they have, they they ask pertinent things, I think. How do you sleep and when do you sleep? When do you break off fighting and what do you eat and how do you cook it and all that sort of thing. And they're, they're absolutely wonderful. And this is all passed on to them by the teachers. We've got the teachers to thank. I'm quite sure then that they'll not, they'll not let, the, the, let the children forget it. And you get some lovely letters from the children, oh, don't you? Oh, piles of letters, yes. It's um, oh, real humorous letters. I've got one, one that I uh, have stuck on near my computer, and it shows a tank. It's only These are 11-year-olds that do these. It's a tank with two heads sticking out the top, and uh, one is saying, enemy in for 300 yards, shoot at will. Meant shoot is what it meant to shoot whatever you want. So the answer comes back from the little lad in the in the or the the, the chap in the tank. He says, "Which one is Will, sir?" <laughs> All things like that. The wonderful they are, and thanks. And they never say thanks, Hector. They all say thanks, Hector. Oh, I have some wonderful letters from them. Well, Hector, you have three children. Sadly, your daughter died in two thousand and two. Oh. But you have. Two sons, five grandchildren, ten great-grandchildren and uh, great-great-grandchildren as well. How do you feel looking at all of them? Well, I'm very, very proud of looking at them all and seeing them all. 
but the, and uh, I'm pr- I'm proud of what I'm trying to do, and I hope that I'll be able to achieve a little bit more in uh, the memorial side of it. Uh, I've uh, just come back from France with the family. They all go with me, and we had a wonderful time there at the at all the the, the cemeteries and the strong points and places, and the the uh, at the Col- uh, Colville Montgomery. I said the exhortation there in front of all the people, and uh, I've been asked to go away again to Portsmouth. I'm going away at the end of September to another celebration there, and I've been also invited to go to the the uh, the memorial, the, the the cenotaph in London, on the 11th of the 11th, and to march in the cemetery there, march there, and to go to the Royal Albert Hall on on the 11th at night. So I'm thinking that over now and. Uh, but as I say, each memorial I see, when I see men's names on them, they've died for us. We can never we we've got very short memories. We say the exhortation every we say it every week. We will remember them, but I'm afraid we've got very short memories. And as I see, as I say, I see their names on the memorials, and I can only think, well, we have forgotten them, and we mustn't. That's one thing. It's a debt we can never repay. Them men, and they give their all for us. Some, some give some, some give something, but some give all. And uh, they're the ones that we want to think about. Hector Duff, it yeah. has been a privilege to have you with me this afternoon. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here and for everything. Um, tell us about the final piece of music you've chosen, which really sort of highlights what you said at the, the start of the yeah. programme. Yes, it's about Louis, Louis Armstrong. And I said, what a wonderful world. And it is, but it's the world that we make. We make it ourselves. We don't expect people, other people to do it. I think one uh, Louis says it's wonderful. It's a place that we see these people of young, on all ages, young and old, and it is a wonderful place. And thank you, Louis. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them blue for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. I see skies of blue and clouds of white. The bright blessed day, the dark sacred night. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. The colors of the rainbow. So pretty in the sky Or also on the faces Of people going by I see friends shaking hands Saying how do you do They're really saying I love you I hear babies cry I 
much more than I never knew. And I think to myself, what a wonderful mood. Yes, I think to myself, what a wonderful Women Today 